you'd like to be a part of Transfer Tea, fill out our submissions form, find the link in the description or on any of our social platforms. We'd love to hear from you. Hi, welcome back to Transfer Tea. Today I'm here with Christopher and we're going to be talking about his journey from community college to Princeton, which is so cool. I'll let him kind of introduce himself and talk a little bit about who he is, what he's studying, and then we'll go from there. Thank you for having me. My name is Christopher and I'm currently, as you, as you just stated, from Princeton, or in Princeton, and I am studying philosophy. Um, I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, but I was born in New York. It's very cool. I interviewed someone from North Carolina, and that's where I learned what the cities were in North Carolina. <laughs> I now know where Charlotte is. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll start back with community college. Did you go to community college in Charlotte, or what was that like? Um, and also, what led you to choose community college in the first place? Yeah, so I went to a community college called Central Piedmont, located in the uptown area of Charlotte, North Carolina. And what kind of led me to go to community college is that I dropped out of high school back in, oh man, I think I want to say 2010, around there. And then I got my GED at CPCC um, in 2015. And so I kind of, once I, once I procured my GED, it was kind of the next move, if that makes sense. It was, I, the people around me at the time said, well, you know, this is where you got your GED. You could begin taking classes here. And I, at that, point, that, at that particular moment, I had a lot of motivation and so I, I kind of jumped on board and, you know, made a beeline to all of the relevant facilities just to kind of acclimate to the environment and get and kind of get plugged in. What was it like to start classes? I mean, I'm sure getting your GED is a little different than starting classes, knowing you're going to transfer. Did, did that like come easily to you? Did, were there resources that you sort of used? And I don't know, like, do you do you also like count yourself as non-traditional or did you kind of not utilize that aspect of life? I don't know. I don't know the word for that. (laughs) Um, That's a great question. I do, I actually really do consider myself non-traditional just by virtue of being an older student. Um, I also found that I was slightly older than some of the community college students that I surrounded myself with, which still, which actually surprised me at first. As far as academic rigor, I, I wasn't too taken aback by it. Uh, Again, I had this, I had, I I was kind of riding this wave of motivation that kind of happened in early 2018. And I started classes in March 2018. So I I really had this flame underneath me, if that made, if that makes any sense. And so I was highly motivated to do, do very, very well, at least my first few semesters. I mean, you know, getting that 4.0 was the most important thing for me at that time. I guess speaking to that, like, I'm sure when you say that, and I know like any time I've been on a panel or anything where people are like, oh, I had a 4.0, so many people are like, how? Um, (laughs) So I guess, do you have kind of any advice for that besides just, of course, like the motivation that's required? How else did you sort of maintain a GPA that made you happy? Right. You know, I think it comes down to priorities and how you manage your priorities. So just kind of derivation from that, I would say time management is really important. Um, I use, I'm, I'm kind of a techie guy a little bit. So I use some apps called Notion, for instance, to kind of organize what things I'm working on when. And I kind of, I do that in lieu of when they're due. But also having, also communicating with your professors if you're having, you know, any issues. I took advantage of that at, um, at Central Piedmont. Like if I had a problem or if there was something 
um, I wasn't completely sure about or confused about, um, I went to my professor's office hours. If you're willing to kind of put in, I don't want to just say put in the effort, that might not be the right word, but really maximize the experience. There's a lot that you can take out of it. And there's a lot that you can learn from it. Um, and I'm very, very grateful that I had a, a supportive platform, particularly in my, and particularly the student life at Central Piedmont, um, where everyone was kind of ensconced within all of the resources and they had, they all had the wherewithal about what was available to them. And I, and I could have conversations with those people and say, well, Christopher, if you're not quite sure about this one thing, go here. If you, mm -hmm. if you need help in financial aid, go here. If you need tutoring, go here. And so that was incredibly, that was incredibly advantageous to helping me figure out and navigating the community college space. I definitely feel the same way about student life at my college. I think student life just has so much to offer and most people just walk past that section or that building. And I don't know, I mean, it can seem intimidating for sure. I realize like being on student Senate, we were kind of like a group and, but it's not really a closed off group. It's very open. I feel like you can, like you said, just push yourself to take kind of advantage of where you're at. To that, to that note, I'm curious about like what extracurriculars you did or how you even got involved in this student life like what what you did in that sense the so the story would not be the story really wouldn't be complete if i didn't mention the mentorship i received from a gentleman named mr floyd chris floyd i was working at the time at the valentine country club and again i had i had did this i had went to this small pastoral town outside of charlotte called robbinsville and you know that's kind of where i that's kind of what engendered my motivation and i kind of as soon as i left that trip as soon as i came home from that trip I, I started to really think about what are the ways in which I can transform my life. Mm -hmm. And at my country club, I kind of be a little bit more deliberate about the conversations I was, I was having with some of the customers. Um, and one guy pointed me in the direction of Chris Floyd. And after I had a conversation with him, he told me to go back to, he told me to go back to community college so I, I, so I could possibly enroll at UNC, um, UNC Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. The point is though, like after having that conversation, as soon as I got to Central Piedmont, my main priority was to transfer to Chapel Hill. Um, and so I did everything possible to do that. And so I did make that beeline to Central Piedmont Student Life Office. And I just kind of pushed myself in and I said, what's this about? How can I get involved? And, and I actually did that before I was enrolled or registered for any classes. So one of the student coordinators there told me, well, Christopher, you need to get registered classes where you can get involved but I mean it, it was that's kind of what really got me in like so student government was the first thing I really kind of got involved in then our road rat club which is a service oriented club on campus was the second thing I really got involved in and everything kind of spilled out from there yeah that's interesting because it's very similar to what I did like I started with one thing because of the advice of like an older adult who kind of like led me there and then once you kind of get into one really good group on campus, I feel like then you just you begin to find all these other opportunities and they're just sort of there for you. I think that's really, really cool. And also the fact that like your first goal was, um, oh my God, I know what it's called. I know there's Chapel Hill in my head. What is the acronym? <laughs> um, UNC. UNC. That's yeah. funny because this other, you should talk to this other guy. I'll, whatever, I'll connect you later. But I think that's just really cool. Like that was your sort of motivation and what led you. I think it's just so important. I've talked to a lot of people whose like first motivation is I just want to get out of here. But then I'm yeah. like, okay, but for what? Like, what is your next step? Like have some sort of goal. I think that's really, really cool to see that you had that. And that's kind of like what started you. 
regardless of that, I would like to kind of move into what it was like after you, you were there, I guess, for a semester or so, or maybe two, like when did you start applying to schools and when did you realize you could apply to schools beyond just UNC? Right, right. So I would say that I, that sentiment of wanting to get out of here, I, I harbored that same sentiment. Like my first year at Central Piedmont, it was great. Like I, I got acclimated, I got involved, I made a lot of new friends, but I wanted to transfer out. I wanted, I, I was on the, this journey that I was on, there was a lot of momentum behind it and I was still motivated, highly motivated. And I wanted to continue that at an institution or which can maximize that. So I was thinking of, you know, a variety of different places, but principally I was thinking about Emory University. And I had a friend that goes there and she kind of, um, she kind of made a really good pitch about what was great about that place. And so I applied, but I got rejected. And I think I got rejected because my application reflected, reflected that, how would you say, that impatience. It really reflected me not necessarily, me not necessarily wanting to, me not necessarily trying to learn something from Central Piedmont, but me just kind of using Central Piedmont just simply as this bland catalyst to a four-year institution. So following that, that following that, that setback, I recognized that there was a lot to be learned here, that this place that I'm at is really a center or a hub for people who are on the outskirts of society. Who be, like, I like, the, what I like to say is that everyone there is, has their own redemption story, right? Because they, they went through some obstacle or they went through some major setback and they've consciously decided to transform themselves or transform their lives for whatever reason. And they go to the place that's most accessible to them, which is a community college. And I wanted to learn that. I wanted to really, rather than just kind of occupying this space high in the air, I wanted to be a part of that and understand that. So um, I also got involved in the Relatives too, which has like, which is a homeless shelter, a nonprofit homeless shelter for youths. And a lot of the youths who don't have G, who don't have high school diplomas, either get their high school diploma through Central Piedmont and then are enrolled in Central Piedmont. And so it acts as a pipeline. And so a lot of the students there, who I happen to be a GED instructor, kind of help also really shape, really shape what I think of service and really shape what I think of disenfranchised and disaffected people, right? Because those people really, their stories matter, you know? Um, this is something I mentioned in my application, this is something I mentioned in anyone who I talk to, is that it doesn't matter where you're at necessarily, what you do still matters, because what you do spills out into the community around you. And so I think that's my principal takeaway from getting, first of all, you know, figuring out that I don't necessarily need to rush the process, getting rejected from Emory, and really seeing the value, the genuine value of a community college education. I think that's amazing. And what stands out so much from what you just said is how all of that was really kind of for yourself to understand and to learn. And none of what you said was for the extracurricular section of the Common App, you know? (laughs) Um, And I just, I think that's, it sounds so simple, but it is just something I've really noticed speaking to prospective transfers is that like until you find something that is so important that you begin to share it with everyone you talk to, you're not, you're not going to love, like love it enough to be able to get that down into words and onto an application in the first place. But I'm also like, I can probably assume that you would have still done those things no matter what school would have taken you. Um, And I, I just think that's so cool also to have, to have gone through that and like been a part of something that helps people get their GEDs and that's so cool. Anyways, I could I could ask you so many more questions about that that I know then we'd be here for a long time. So <laughs> I'd like to ask 
after kind of the stint with Emory, what was it like to sit down again and do like a round two of applications? I know a lot of people use that first experience as a really big like reflecting point when they go to their next set of apps. So was was that sort of what you did and, and what was what was the kind of final application process like? Right. That's a really great question. Um, so I think my principal takeaway from that were kind of removed from the philosophical, um, my philosophical revelations, but it was like just regarding the technicalities. I think one of the things I did in my, in my um, Emory application, which was a mistake, is that I kind of just laid out my resume. I kind of reiterated my resume in a variety of different ways. So I talked about this, I was involved with this, I was involved with this, and I didn't really expound upon it. I just kind of said, I presented it to you and left it at, left it at that. So I really, my last year at Central Piedmont was, really there was a lot of things about who I was I wanted to change and about how I wanted to, how I wanted to approach the world that wanted, I wanted to change that as well. And that kind of reflected in the application process when I started looking at different schools. I started to take, I, one, one of the things I started to take seriously was actually registering to take the SAT. Um, I really, I, there was, I had, there, I was so apprehensive about it because I'm, I'm so much older, I'm 25. And I was like, I really want to sit down in high school with these high school kids and take this test. And it was so hard, but I'm it glad I did it. not a good feeling. <laughs> but I'm glad I did it. And, you know, I began studying for it and, that's one thing. And the other thing is that I recognize the application process isn't, it isn't a place for you to reiterate the things that you've done, right? It's a place where you are, it's a place where you, where you're supposed to disseminate your story, right? Whatever that looks like. And the point, the point of the point, I think, is to lay out, at least structurally lay out how, what, where you were, what obstacle you had to kind of face or contend with and how did you transcend that obstacle? And now as a consequence, who are you? Right. That's thematically. That's how I thought. That's how I thought through the application process. And it, it, it's a complete 180 of how I approached my Emory application, which was, again, just I focused on like, well, I was a Senate. I was, I was a part of the Senate of my SGA. I was the vice president of this club. Right. Rather than those things, I picked the one or two things that were most meaningful and most impactful, like my like being a GED instructor at the relatives, like being a member of SGA. And I've artic I articulated that and I articulated that in a way that made it coherent to a cohesive whole, if that makes sense. And that cohesive soul was someone who was interested in service, someone who was, um, someone in some sense who was like in an abyss, right? And is still trying to figure himself out and, and climb out to see the light. It was all a part of this journey that I wanted to kind of disseminate my application. I think that that is amazing. I feel like it's so interesting because that sort of seems to be a lot of what private school applications are looking for. I think definitely here like for the UCs it's it's a bit of a different process just because of the massive applications that they get and a lot more of what they're looking for is like okay like what did you do but these private schools are getting people who all have 3.9s 4.0s everyone was in student senate this and and this group and it's like what's your sort of why and and how did you like take advantage of the situation that you're in, like that these things weren't handed to you. How did you get them? And I think people really forget about that because we're so like taught, we're like LinkedIn or resumes and we're so taught to like just lay out everything you ever did. But it really is so much of your why. I think I probably wouldn't have like succeeded in writing those apps had I not heard um, from, I've said this before, but like from this uh, Cornell 
transfer advisor and he basically said that like we get so many applications where students are telling us how they're going to use Cornell as a stepping stone to wherever they want to go like med school or business school and he was like we don't we don't want to be a stepping stone um and the way that you show that you won't use them as a stepping stone is to prove that you didn't use your past institution as a stepping stone, which is exactly like what you alluded to. Um, I think that's, it's so interesting to see the similarities because then it starts to all kind of like make sense, I guess. Like it's not yeah. an immensely complicated process. We just we tend to complicate it for ourselves. <laughs> I think I, there's so much truth there. And I, I definitely want to touch on the fact that you, because touch on the fact that you, when you mentioned um, the UC systems having a different process. I had no idea actually, but that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, given the given the kind of applicants private schools receive, um, it just makes that it makes a lot more sense that what story you kind of craft is what distinguishes you from everybody else, since all of the quantitative metrics are relatively similar. But no, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, you know, it's it 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 wasn't it was a soul like the final year at Central Piedmont was a soul searching process for me. I had to figure out what kind of person I wanted to be and who I was going to become, right? Mm -hmm. And even that, and that spilled into how I thought about my extracurriculars. Like, why am I doing X? And why am I doing Y? And I had some, like with my student life coordinator, I'm thinking like I had a, a difficult conversation with her about why I was a part of this and why I maybe need to get out. And, and she was completely supportive and she recognized that I was shifting my priorities. Um, and she, and again, as I said, she, she acted as a bull, she acted as a, a, a staunch bulwark for me um, and it, whenever I decided, but it was a difficult conversation because I, you know, a part of me didn't want to disappoint anyone, um, yeah. or, 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 you know, like, and a part of me also wanted to be a part of all the things as it, as it says. So I just, I don't know, like, it's a difficult process, but it's a soul searching process. And you have to figure out like, what kind of person are you and how are you going to tell, how are you going to tell like admissions officers who you are and who you're going to become as a consequence of being admitted to the place that you want to be admitted to? I really relate to that, like wanting to do all the things and not wanting to kind of disappoint people or having like seeing other people do things and thinking, oh, I could do that. There is room in my schedule. But then it's like, why do I even want to do that? That doesn't tie into who I think I am or who I want to be. It just, I like I, I had definitely those moments. And it is also like having other people sort of be kind of ask you those hard questions of like why why are you doing that or like why do you and you're like I don't know <laughs> but it, that's just so so cool and it is it does take a lot to stop doing things but I think it's part of the process of learning and growing anyway I also had like a randomly curious question but like how did you pick what schools you wanted to apply to I've met people who applied to like 20 plus schools Wow. I don't know how, but it's always like for them, it was just like, I went to the top 20 and I applied to all 20, right. but I get the feeling you didn't do that. So I would love to hear how you chose your schools. Yeah. Um, so for, and just to be frank, like when I came into central Piedmont, um, one of my aspirations was to, to apply to Harvard and get into Harvard. Like that was the thing. Like I wanted to apply to an Ivy League school and be, and during the brief period where that aspiration kind of that aspiration kind of vanished a little bit and I was applying to Emory um even at, I still was thinking about it I still had conversations with people if this, this was the right thing to do like like I, I remember having a conversation with my mentor and he told me Christopher do you really want to apply to Emory will you be happy if you're accepted there and I, I again it was a difficult it was a difficult question and a difficult conversation because frankly the answer was no 
Um, I was just only, I was applying because I thought it was a way to expedite the process. And to that end, like afterwards, I started again, seriously thinking about the institutions I was applying to. Am I applying to this institution because it's prestigious? Am I applying it to the institution because um, it's a way for me to, it's relevant to the institution I go now, like say UNC Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to ask myself those serious questions. So I looked at the schools that I made, a, I made like a hierarchy of a hierarchical list. And I put the schools at the top that I knew were relevant to my personality. And I had a deep connection to. And Harvard was not on that list, right? At the end of the day, it wasn't, I went to, I, I did a tour of the campus in February of 2020 of this year. And I, I just, you know, if I had applied, I was only applying because it was a prestigious Ivy League school. Like that was it. Princeton, and I know that obviously Princeton's not a prestigious Ivy League school as well, but I, there was a deeper connection there. Um, there were there are a few professors here. I'm, there are two in particular, Michael Smith and Alexander Hamas, who I did a lot of homework on. And I was very interested in Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, and they, they've spent their entire lives going over his philosophy. And so it wasn't difficult to, it wasn't difficult to make a connection there. And then Princeton's unofficial motto in the nation's service and in the service of humanity um, was highly, highly, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Like, it just resonated with me. Like, I, I was doing so much work, right, at the relatives and on the ground in homeless community and homeless shelters and people who were kind of like, and people who were at the, the outskirts, just as I was, like, you know, they, they, they needed something to climb on. For me, I began when I was teaching, I started to curate this philosophy of empowerment right? I wasn't just, this, I wasn't just kind of going over the components of the GED test. I incorporated art and philosophy into that so I could shift the perspective, right? The self-perspective that a lot of the students had of themselves and to get them to see that, you know, you can do whatever, you have agency, you can do whatever it is you put your mind to, right? Just put in the effort and see what happens, right? The system's not going to hold you back. You, you can really try to push against it and you will succeed in your own right. And I, and, and I was a point of inspiration for them um, because I was in the same boat. You know, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a high school diploma. I, I was a poor black kid living in the poorest parts of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I, I, I started like working and it was hard. I did it all on my own, but I started doing it. And here I was, I could like tell, I could kind of distill my, my experiences to them. And so that was incredibly humbling. And, and it taught me that it taught me the tangible value of service because I used to think, if I'm being completely honest, I used to think of service abstractly, like, oh, yeah, it's this thing I do to pad my resume and look good for college applications or for an internship. But when you're really on the ground and you're, you're, you're literally seeing, in the literal sense of that word, you're literally seeing people have this shift in the way they see themselves and saying, yeah, I can do that too. Like I had a conversation with one of my students, like, what's, if you, within, the re within reason, what's something you want to do? He's like, oh, I'll open my own barbershop. Then I'll ask him, do you know how to cut hair? And he's like, not really. So what we did, I, I, had, I was close to one of the, um, the owners of where I get my hair. I was close to one of the owners there. I said, can you teach this guy how to cut hair? And we did that and he got really good at it. Now, will he open a barbershop? Who knows? Maybe. But the, idea, the possibilities there now because he knows how to cut hair. And, and now he actually has a way to bring in money. You know what I mean? And I still get letters from him just, you know, just thanking me for, for that point of contact, which is incredibly moving and humbling. So, I mean... It, the, the philosophy department at Princeton was, spoke to me in ways that other philosophy departments at other institutions didn't. And then also the unofficial motto, even if that's kind of a cliche answer, but the unofficial motto truly resonated with me in a way that I just couldn't ignore the school. I didn't even, in the, when I discovered Princeton, I, I still was operating under the assumption that they didn't accept any transfer students. It was until, I think, 
early September when I discovered early September of last year when I discovered that they did. And then like two weeks later, and I did some homework. I was like, wow, this place sounds amazing. And I did and I flew out like I think two weeks later to go give a to do a tour of the campus. That's crazy. Yeah. They haven't been like they've just recently begun reaccepting transfers, right? Yeah, they, we are it's a tiny, tiny transfer population. We're 38 strong right now, I wanna say. But no, 31, 31 strong on 38. Wow. But yeah. I think I think that's so cool to just understand how well you fit with kind of the department and the school and to just believe in yourself enough to give it a shot and apply even though there's like nobody else there that's yeah. insane I know for me I just the amount of times I was like last year's acceptance rate was 0.94 or 0.92 yeah like I literally just kept being like 0.92 is not even a whole person <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like out of all of the people, like a thousand of people, thousand of people, a thousand people apply and they accept like whatever, 20, 13, whatever it is. And you're just like, man, am I really, I had I, that, that thought has crossed after I submitted my application, I thought it crossed my mind a million times. Like, are they really going to accept me? I had conversations with people who honestly at that point believed more in me than I believed in myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really don't think I'm going to get accepted. And there was a time when I got accepted to Chapel Hill, I bought, I, I started making arra- housing arrangements with a friend. I bought so much Carolina gear. <laughs> I did not think I was going to get accepted to Princeton at all. And then a month later, I'm just like, oh my God, I have to return all of this stuff I bought. And I have to now cancel plans with my friend to live, I live, in, Car- uh, live in Chapel Hill. It's just, I didn't think it was going to happen. I feel that. I definitely had a few cow sweaters that I had to <laughs> discreetly get rid of. But it really was like, I don't know. I just think, I think it's, it is that like, you just really need to sit and do it. And I think like to anyone listening who, if you really feel connected, I feel like I also, I applied to Georgetown and it was one of those things where kind of like you said, like my, I initially like, you have to pay the app fee up front. So I did. And I was like, I'm going to go here. It's just such a good school for poli side. And then I just didn't really connect with anything that I saw they had, but I was like, I already paid $75. I might as well write something. <laughs> so, yeah. but, it, it was that like, I didn't have a desire to go there anymore. There were so many schools on my list that were amazing schools, but I, I mean, I, I feel like we all have that. I really wanted to go to Yale. That was my thing. I was really thinking I could do a whole Gilmore girls repeat. Um, <laughs> but I, I was like, I don't really know if I'd want to go there. Like, and, and then I realized like, that's okay. I don't have to go there just cause it's a really good school. I mean, not to say I don't go I'm I'm not not I just mean like in that moment I was when I was picking schools it was like it it is that in the back of your mind you're like should I just apply because it's a really good school but it's like what for what and they're not going to take you because you're only applying because it's a really good school right flexing application very Very much yeah yeah I guess as we sort of begin to wrap this up I could ask you a lot more questions (laughs) but I think the best sort of way to take this is like, I feel like you've done quite a lot of mentorship, um, maybe unofficially at this point, uh, but like through all of your work, what, what advice would you give to students maybe who are not um, in, in, in traditional situations or in the best situations for like attending academic institutions or things like that, students who don't think that that's for them? What, what would you tell them if, if any of them are listening? Yeah. Um, so I think my, my parting piece of advice would be to, I mean, well, it, it's twofold. One would be 
um, to be authentic, as cliche as that sounds, it when you're when you're creating your application, your authenticity is reflected in the application. So given how small the transfer cohorts um, at Princeton are, we, when we're accepted, we, we receive a phone call from the institution um, and it was an admissions officer. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, we really appreciate how authentic your application was. And verbatim, that's what he told me. Um, so authenticity goes a long way when you're kind of thinking about, you know, what your application is gonna look like and who you are. Cause that's essentially what you're doing is you're, you're, giving, you're giving the admissions officer um, you're, you're, you're allowing them to construct this mental model of who you are, right? And think about that and be deliberate about that. So if you were, if, and I guess one way to think about this too, is if you were to tell people the most important things about who you are or what makes you different than anybody else, right? Have, to have some answers to those questions, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that will spill out and I think it will play very, very well for you. The other thing is, and this is kind of related to what I mentioned tangentially anyway, but to make yourself kind of useful, you know what I mean? Like think of the things, like really think about what you're passionate about and what kind of gets you up in the morning. Um, I know I know some people who um, who go to incredible institutions but aren't happy. And one of the reasons, and they'll, they'll tell me in private, one of the reasons that is, is because they apply to the school thinking that the prestige and everything kind of encapsulated within that is going to make them feel satisfied with who they are as a person. Um, and that's not always the case for some people that may work, but that's not always the case. I know for me that wouldn't work, right? I, I need to, I need to do some, I need to be going to this place because I want to do something here that I'm really, really passionate about. And my thing happens to be philosophy and the department here is really small. So I think I can make a serious contribution here. And that's something you can think about. It doesn't have to be philosophy, but it can be whatever it is that you're really, really passionate about and you want to change. It could be something in it could be something in climate change, dealing with climate change. It could be something in the environment. It could be it could be innovative robotics or innovative technology in some way. There's so many different things that you could be potentially passionate about. And I think that I think if you I think if you aim yourself at that thing, that's going to be also reflected in your application. So just be authentic about how you're telling your story. If there's something you're not quite something something you're not quite ashamed of or some obstacle something you're quite ashamed of or some some obstacle you went over you had to overcome talk about that you know tell the tell tell the admissions officer and by extension the world what that thing is like what why are you doing the things you want to do and then whatever to think and whatever related to that that aim that you have that passionate aim follow that and don't kind of deviate too much from them i think that would be the two things i would say i think that's really amazing advice honestly for anyone to take into account because if you do those things whether or not you get accepted to the school you'll be proud of your application and you'll also be proud of everything that you have done leading up to that and i just think that's so much more important than where you end up going to school it's like everything you did in the process and the way that you grew into what it is that you want to be yeah. um, but i think that is really really amazing and i guess as we sort of wrap this up just out of my own curiosity um, what are some things that like you've been doing since you've been at Princeton? I know you also transferred in this like pandemic remote, weird, whatever this is. Um, but what are some of the things you've done? What are you looking forward to? Um, um, I, so I guess one of the obvious things I'm looking forward to is just a little bit of normalcy to the college experience. I don't know when that's going to happen or like what that's going to look like, but I, you know, definitely, um, when everyone's kind of on campus and, all of the things, I will say this, 
all of the things that make being on campus worthwhile that kind of encapsulate what makes it worthwhile aren't here. It's really the people and all of the things that are kind of just going just going on. Um, I can't wait for that to actually happen. And you know, just that's something I'm looking forward to. So far, though, I, I mean, I, as just as this is my first term, I've been kind of being a little bit more laid back. I'm just trying to acclimate into the curriculum and kind of figure out this this Princeton thing, so to speak. Um, <laughs> and I mean, so I got I haven't gotten involved with a lot of stuff, but the things I have gotten involved in, I'm really particularly um, passionate about. I've, I've done I've joined a few political clubs. Um, the James Madison program comes to mind. I've also I'm in the process of joining some philosophy clubs. Um, the Center for Human Values or Moral Values, I believe it's called, um, at Princeton is something I'm thinking about getting involved in. So just very, very laid back approach. I think next term, though, I, I, I'm probably looking at like our undergraduate student government here um, and just getting have it being a little bit more public. Um, but again, it's all it's all in due time and it's all kind of as I'm navigating the space and figuring out how best to tackle the, the workload because it's intense. <laughs> is and i wish we didn't have to say that but it is definitely it's a lot harder than it used to be or <laughs> that we're used to. a lot harder it's a lot harder than, than it, i'll say this like everyone who's asked me like what's it like i have some community college friends who's asked me like so what's something that you can point to that is truly different and i said well at, at my cc i never wrote a paper more than 12 pages never uh -huh. And here, that's something I do, and that's something I have to do in two to three weeks. Like I, it's a four, like I wrote a four thousand, a four thousand word essay, four thousand word plus essay, eighteen pages, and I've never done that before. And it was absolutely, I don't want to say horrible because the topic I, the topic I went over was I enjoyed it, but it was grueling. It was a hard process, you know. Hard, but it is. It also it teaches you a lot, and I think, um, we are prepared in many ways, like at our CCs to be able to do those things. The fact of the matter is that we just like didn't have to do those things like because yeah. of the types of classes that were offered to us. I was just gonna comment on how cool it is to see that you began at community college with this like neat, like wanting to expedite things like applying to Emory just like for the sake of getting out. And now that you have gone through so much, you can kind of be at Princeton and be like, no, oh, it's okay, I'm gonna take my time going to like allow myself to acclimate allow myself to get used to this I I think that's really cool and I noticed that with me too like I took this quarter and I was like I'm just gonna figure out what is even going on like yeah and 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 I don't feel upset about that or I don't feel upset about having to take an extra year for my undergrad I think it comes with time maybe I don't know or experience but I, if that's a message at all to people at CC's like take your time at a CC too. It's okay. Like if you have to do an extra year there as well, it's okay. Um, but you, you also, you seem very calm. So probably reflected in that. <laughs> but I, I just noticed that. I thought that was really cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this and for speaking to your experiences and, and for doing it in such an amazingly humble way. I'm sure you went through so much more than you sort of allotted to, but it's amazing to get to speak to you. Um, and I really hope that your story, I'm sure that your story will resonate with others um, and, and inspired me this Saturday morning. So I'm sure it will inspire others as well. Thank you so much, Ariana. I just have to say this, this, this is an incredible initiative that you've started. Um, it, it's, it's a niche area that there's not a lot of conversation and dialogue about. And I think it's much needed and I'm glad someone like you is occupying that space. 
Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Check back in next week for another Transfer Tea episode.